Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today on the show, we've got John Weir from Bentgate, one of our Blister-recommended shops. Bentgate is located in Golden, Colorado, and John is back on to talk about backcountry skis and AT boots and AT bindings with us. Now, we've had John on Gear 30 before. That is episode number 120, and you should check that episode out if you haven't already because John has some really smart things to say about boot fitting and backcountry-related topics in general. And relatedly, we are very much expecting slash hoping that John is going to be at our Blister Summit. So if you'd like to not only hear his thoughts on these things, but actually get to meet John in person and maybe go ski a bit with him, come to our Blister Summit. Lots more developments are happening on that front. We are going to be making more announcements about more brands that are coming to the summit. So I promise, very good stuff happening in the background. Also, we just sent out a newsletter today that Kristen Sinat, our Blister Summit director, put together. There was a lot of good information in that newsletter. So I'm hoping that we can put a link to it on the Blister Summit information page that you will find if you go to the navigation of our Blister website. Lots of good stuff in that newsletter. And I'm going to remind you again, we have put together this guide. We call it the Getting Here Guide to Gunnison and Crested Butte. For any of you looking to come out to the area or join us in Mount Crested Butte for the Blister Summit, then you should definitely check out this guide. There's a lot of good information in it, including up-to-date flight availability into the Gunnison Airport. So check it out. Things are coming together. More and more people are signing up. And it just snowed. So I'm in a really good mood today. I'm recording this intro actually on Thursday, December 9th. Been snowing all day and timing is perfect. So maybe Cody Townsend and I need to more frequently just have a, you know, episode where we talk about how there isn't any snow in the United States, since that's what we did on this past Monday's Blister podcast. Maybe that's all we need. And then it just snows a bunch. Anyway, check out the show notes for this episode to find a whole bunch of links to stuff that you will be interested in checking out. Otherwise, go to our navigation bar on the website and go to where it says Blister Summit. You'll get a lot more information, and I promise you, you don't want to miss this thing. It's going to be a good one. And with that, let's go ahead and talk to Bentgate's John Weir about all things AT. Here we go. Well, John, welcome back to Gear 30. Good to have you back on the show. And it's funny, you and I were just kind of catching up a bit. I was pushing you on some questions about what's up with Bentgate today. And if you guys are seeing sort of your, let's say, typical customer or customer demographic shifting. So I thought maybe since I was kind of asking you those questions, maybe we ought to provide an update for everyone else. Tell us 
uh, for those who don't know, a bit about Bentgate and again, sort of who is that kind of targeted demographic for Bentgate? Yeah, John, it's 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 good to be back. Um, you know, it's been quite a crazy year for everybody here, and um, you know, it's it's great to be back in a ski season, and and we're loving that. Um, we're starting to see a lot of our old customers come back in. A lot of uh, the the people who have been you know hanging out and and hiding from uh, the COVID um, coming back and and saying hi, coming back in the shop. Uh, we did a, a big shop renovation over the summer, actually. It was uh, really cool to see. We're in a, a building right in downtown Golden, and um, the shop needed an update. And uh, we spent the summer you know, redesigning, updating a lot of stuff, and it, it's really come together. It looks really great. Um, much needed for the shop, and yeah, if you haven't been in, you should come on down and check it out because it looks really great. As far as you know, what we're seeing for this season, um, it's a lot of back to normal um, you know in terms of the customers that we're seeing um, we we see a lot of um, you know true backcountry and uh, telly guys um, and are one of the few shops uh, you know left in the country that really dedicate ourselves on those two um, things so we're also seeing a ton of growth um, over the past few years in split boarding as well. And so our split boarding department has really grown. We've seen a lot of support from a couple of really good brands, um, Weston right here in Colorado, as well as Jones. We actually had Jeremy come by the shop uh, early this year and, and come say hi to the guys. And so, um, and Never Summer right here in Denver as well. Um, you know, great, great split boarding brands. But uh, yeah, we see um, a lot of our customers um, who are really focused on getting that free ride experience, um, that uh, high performance alpine experience, and really trying to translate that into a backcountry experience as well. Um, you know, for for the last few years, we've really focused on high performing backcountry equipment um, and seen a real increase in the the brands cranking out really good gear that has great durability and performs really well in a wide variety of uh, outcomes, whether it's in the backcountry earning turns or, you know, going up on, on chairlift access and, and getting some of that, um, you know, side country or even, you know, skinning up in the morning. We have a lot of customers who like to do that too. We'll skin up in the morning and, and, uh, you know, rip, Rip Groomers, I have one customer who talks about the uh, the fresh, he gets the fresh corduroy mm -hmm. every morning and uh, that's his favorite thing to do before anybody is out there, get, gets the freshest corduroy. So um, yeah, our, our customers uh, really um, strive to be part of the Colorado lifestyle. Um, we have a sister shop, our bike shop, um, which really focuses on enduro and, and trail mountain biking. And um, a lot of our crossover customers like to go fast and hit big things and uh, we see a lot of that in our in our ski customers hmm. as well yeah i like that you, you what was what was the phrase you used high performance backcountry yeah yeah and yeah if we continue to define terms here so it is you're not a shop that is maybe super focused on the lightest touring gear out there it's not so much for a randonnée type crowd but it's for people that they one will be in the backcountry and two want to ski down pretty hard 
Is that that's fair? Yeah, yeah. I'd say I would say that's fair. You know, we we do see you know customers um, that uh, are getting into that that randonnée space and that uh, ski mountaineering um, is really cool and really fun. It's a it's a great community. Um, we with uh, the Grand Traverse mm-hmm. going again this year. We're seeing a lot of our customers um, who've signed up for that and starting to train for the Cosmo series. Um, and we we like to support that. We do a ton of um, mounting for that type of gear. We, we, um, supported a lot in, in our binding and actually our boot selection. Um, but when it really comes down to skis, it's, it's pretty funny. We don't have many skis smaller than, you know, 95 huh. on the wall. Okay. <laughs> and so, you know, all, a lot of, a lot of people who come in are, are really looking for that, that backcountry powder chasing opposed to, uh, you know, going, going fast uphill. What are a couple of the boots that you are liking in that lightweight category, right? So for those folks that are like, I'm, I actually am trying to get up, get up on some pretty light stuff. Any favorites you're finding? Just they're they're selling really well, or you just tend to have good success with them across the board from durability to whatever. What are you liking? Yeah, you know, I I have to give a shout out to my my own personal boot brand of Technica, um, the Zero G. Uh, pro it that that boot is just a remarkable wonder in terms of how well it skis for its weight um i've been skiing on that boot for now three years great durability um skied in bounds um it's uh it fits really well too um and so i've i've been really really happy with that boot i think it's one of the best boots out there for um kind of that crossover um where you can use it as an everyday touring boot, but it also skis well enough that you can bring it in bounds and, and rip some turns on it for sure. Um, but this year I'm actually really excited. Uh, I was able to get a, a pair of uh, the new Dinafit uh, Radical Pros, um, which uh, utilize um, the kind of Hoji lock mechanism. Um, and I've been out a couple times on it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you kind of have to, experience it to uh really uh, like relish the the change <laughs> um you know the the one of the things that helps the the zero g ski so well is it's a four buckle boot even though they're lightweight buckles um but you realize how much time you spend buckling four boots at the top four buckles uh at the top and bottom once you uh you get in this uh this new Fit radical boot and you flip the switch and you lock everything down in, in one quick maneuver. Um, and the boot itself actually fits really well and skis well. Um, I have a fairly wide-ish forefoot um, and uh, it has a pretty generous toe box, um, pretty wide through the throat and over the instep. Um, and then that being said, it has a really nice tight heel pocket, which is oftentimes hard to find um, the combination of the two where you have, um, you know, an, a nice fitting front of the boot um, and then s- some kind of performance lockdown in the back. Um, so I've been pretty happy with it. I've only taken it out on uh, a handful of tours. It's been a pretty low tide season uh, so far, but um, have really enjoyed um, the the experience with that. I get along real well with boots that have a pretty low volume heel pocket and you know so sometimes and this is one of the things where like when we're testing stuff i have to kind of check myself because i might get into a boot and be like ugh, i'm like swimming in this heel pocket what the hell and then it's like okay but not everybody has my heels and i guess i'm curious 
from your point of view where you've got a bunch of people rolling through your shop trying to figure out a boot that works for them, how frequently do you have a customer who's just like, I really like this boot, but this heel pocket is too low volume for me? Like, is that a thing that happens a lot in the world? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I fit boots for many years uh, at Benkate and, uh, you know, they the kind of philosophy around heel pockets is uh, a misnomer because people think, you know, the way you keep your heel back in is you, you stuff a bunch of padding around it. Well, oftentimes that just pushes your toes into the front of the boot, you know, so you're not, <laughs> you're actually just reducing the amount of length in the boot. Um, when, you know, you talk to a lot of boot fitters, the, the most important measurement besides the overall length of the foot is the instep height from heel to heel. So you actually measure over your heel, over the top of your foot, back to the heel. Um, and that measurement looks at the throat of the boot. Um, and so you can have a boot with a super tight heel pocket, but if you have a ton of room over your instep, you're going to end up sliding up out of it because there's not a whole lot to holding you back there. Um, another thing to look at is kind of ankle flexibility. A lot of people don't have super flexible ankles. And so what's actually happening when they flex into the boot, it doesn't matter, you know, how much you're holding that piece in because the ankle flexion is so low, their foot's going to come up no matter what. Um, and so, um, modifying boots in that way, um, you know, you can put, um, you know, the, the, typical thing is a heel lift or a heel riser, um, but really it's not rising you up out of the boot. It's taking up space um, and reducing the overall amount of flexion that's needed to pull up. So it's um, there's actually a lot of different like little cool things that you can do to make um, a boot work for people, especially in that heel pocket area. Um, I, I find that um, you know, that's probably one of the biggest complaints that we get in terms of the performance side, you know. So you have the, the, the people who complain about, you know, pain, which typically happens in the front of the foot. You know, you get toe pain or the width of the boot. Um, the other big problem that we often solve is that performance side where it's like, hey, the boot feels good. It's just not performing the way I want it to. And that, that can be very tricky. Sorry, when you say it's not performing the way I want it to, do you mean I'm not locked in or I'm not locked down like I'd like to be? Typically, typically, yeah. Um, and that, that goes um, into a little bit of our fit philosophy at Benkate where we, we are fitting a little bit larger for backcountry fit. You know, it's not that alpine race fit. Um, and so people coming from that alpine side that really want that locked in feeling can be a little difficult when you're sizing up the boot a little bit or you know you have a, a little higher volume boot um and then the you know the other thing too is if you try to lock that heel down and and really like put a lot of stuff back there it might give you a really good downhill feel but if you're hiking around for two hours it might just tear your mm -hmm. your ankles apart yeah. too so that can be pretty tricky um that being said you know it's it's pretty funny, and I was talking to uh, my friend who's a, a ski tester as well. Um, one of the things we we keep saying is these brands are just getting really really good at the products they're cranking out, and um, whether it's skis or boots, a lot of the stuff I get on, I'm pretty impressed by um, lately. And um, you know, so I, I we often tell people don't fall in love with a pair of boots based on a magazine yeah. review. Like, go put it on yeah. your foot, and it's like. 
I can say, I love this boot. It's great. Yeah. You put it on your foot and it's awful. Yeah. So come on, come on into a shop, work with a boot fitter, put on a couple different pairs. Um, we, we like to tell people, you know, when you put on that boot, it should be at least 60 to 70% of the way there, you know, and it's, we can get it to that 90, 100% good feeling um, without much work. But if you're starting at 30%, you know, and you know, the boot's never going to get there for you. Backing up for a second, you started talking about like that you're seeing more customers that are, you know, doing things like the Grand Traverse. And I thought you were going to start talking about, well, frankly, some boots that are lighter than, say, a Technica Zero G Tour Pro. And that's a favorite boot of both of ours. Like, so, but I guess I'm curious, like, in terms of stuff you're carrying or selling, are you doing much on the lighter side of the Zero G? Yeah, you know, we, we, we're doing a little bit of it, you know. Um, we, we've seen some, some cool boots um, from uh, Atomic, you know, that Atomic Backland is a pretty cool boot, um, especially because it gives you a lot of fit options with its heat moldable shell, you know. And when you're talking in that realm, if you're going to be in a boot for 16 hours and walking 40 miles, that thing better feel pretty good on your foot, you know? So having that, having that option, um, in a boot like that is, is pretty cool. We've seen some success with that. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, success with, uh, Dina Fitz line. Um, Sportiva has a great new boot that, that we really like as well. So we brought that in this season. Okay. So there are some options. Like I, I just think if somebody was listening to this and we're sort of talking about really lightweight touring stuff, and then we're talking about the zero G, I don't want anyone to be angry at us thinking that we're like leaving out, you know, like I wouldn't, the zero G is not the far left of this spectrum, right? No, no, not, not at all. Um, but you'd be surprised, man. We've, we've had people you know, people joke about the, uh, you know, marathon off the couch. Uh-huh. We've had people fly in from San Francisco, um, rent a, a, a touring setup from us to do the Grand Traverse and try to do it in a pair of coaches. And, uh, you know, it's so it's, wow. it's pretty, it's wow. pretty wild, you know, <laughs> people, when, people from San Francisco, really yeah. badass or kind of <laughs> stupid i don't know maybe both yeah no so you know and it's 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 one of those things you know where where you do see and um you know a, a race like the grand traverse is really cool um but a lot of that gear is so specialized um so we do see a lot of people you know who want stuff you know like i i've i've skied um you know, a little bit lighter than that, that zero G would be, um, a cool boot from Scarpa, the F1 LT, which is coming in under a thousand grams. And, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't fit my foot all that well, so I don't ski it. I wish it did. Cause it skis really well. Can you say more about that? And th- now I'm just self, I'm asking selfish questions yeah. now. So whatever, <laughs> um, since, since you and I can both fit in and get along well with a zero G tour pro talk to me a little bit. If we use that as a bit of a reference point, talk about the fit then. Cause I've been actually really curious about that F1 LT. Yeah, it's 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 a great boot. It it skis. I've I've been a fan of kind of the way that F1 series has skied uh, for a little while, and um, they kind of meshed that F1 with uh, the Alien. The Alien, yeah, um, yeah. So the Alien RS is kind of the the father of that 
um, LT boot and uh, it it skis really well. Um, it's got a cool um, Grillamid uh, carbon infused shell for 27 comes in under a thousand grams um, and skis really really well for how lightweight the boot is. Um, I was able to take them out for a day and unfortunately it's a very narrow last and my my foot was just crushed in it <laughs> and uh, so it's it's not the boot for me I wish it was because it was it was it skis really well yeah, and one of the things when you get those lightweight boots when they drop the tongue you get a lot of shin bite um, I find that this can be kind of detrimental um, on the downhill as you know like an everyday daily driver um, with that shin bite and the I found that the the Scarpa LT the F1 LT really did a nice job of kind of diffusing some of that um, just by having a little higher cuff height um, so overall I was, I was pretty impressed with the boot for being a very lightweight boot I think it's one of those cool ones that could cross over between you know that that uh, Randonnée uh, Grand Traverse style boot, um, but still, you know, for the right person might be an everyday backcountry boot as well. Okay. But in terms of fit, again, just selfish, it's running narrower than say a zero yep. G. Okay. Yep. Completely, completely brutal for me. I okay. was, I was ready and screaming on the way back to take <laughs> them off. One of, one of the funky things about Scarpa too, and a lot of people don't know this, um, the mass majority, the vast majority of uh, boots on the market are based on a Mondo size. Um, now Mondo is uh, a European sizing for mountaineering and ski boots um, based on centimeters, right? So. 26.5 Mondo, it means your foot is 26.5 centimeters from heel to toe. Um, Scarpa does the internal shell sizing um, a half centimeter longer than pretty much everybody else on the market. So where most ski boots are going to be a 25.5, 26.5, 27.5, Scarpa does their sizing on 26, 27, 28, um, which is actually a slightly longer boot. Um, and so for people who have trouble, um, you know, with kind of that big toe bang on yeah. a 26.5, you know, if you haven't put on a Scarpa yet, try it out because there is more space there. Their shell sizing is actually different. And it's kind of a kind of a cool thing. Works really well for some people. I'm unfortunately right on a spot on 26.5. And so I get caught right in that middle size mm -hmm. and it, it just doesn't work well for me. Hmm. You mentioned backcountry skis. And I thought this was an interesting point. We were talking a little bit before we hit the record button. But when you were saying in this conversation, you know, you're like, we're seeing a lot of backcountry skis we like. But one of the things you mentioned in particular was just better binding retention in these skis. And I thought that's worth, as we are always kind of trying to take stock of where the industry is and different product categories are, talk a little bit about what you're seeing on that front, um, given that you sell this stuff and then people come into your shop when they break it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and, and that's something that we've, we've seen um, across the board in you know, I would say the whole industry is is doing a better job at making more durable goods. Um, uh, we're, we're seeing it in, in the outdoor industry as a whole, even in tents and sleeping bags and that sort of stuff too, which is pretty cool. But um, recently, you know, the, I think the ski manufacturers um, have really been able to start to dial in their core constructions. Um, 
five, ten years ago, you know, when uh, Poplar Polonia cores started coming on the market, you know, it was the coolest thing ever. You had this really awesome reactive core that had a lot of liveliness to it, generally skied well, um, and uh, people just started slapping it inside skis and, and um, really not thinking about the long-term durability of, um, you know, that wood blend. And, uh, you know, it makes for a very lightweight setup um but when you don't engineer it in a way where you have um you know more stability and high impact areas like your mounting plates um you tend to see a lot of skis either pull apart or um bindings pull out um and uh you know five years ago we were seeing you know 20 20 skis a season easily come back into the shop um with um you know their bindings pulled out you know the just the wood inside it you know just completely chewed away and um you know it's it's something that w when you have that lightweight of material you just don't have a lot of durability there um so the companies we've seen um have really done a great job of increasing durability by engineering you know sturdier woods so um, using you know maple inserts or poplar inserts in those high impact zones like under you know the the binding mounting plate or maybe even including a sheet of tetanol there um, you know we're seeing um, you know tetanol is an aluminum um, alloy and it really adds a ton of retention there when you put it inside um, a ski right at that mounting plate um, and so overall, in the past few years, we've seen less and less um, skis come back that are, you know, just blown up or, or have durability issues. Um, it's um, something pretty cool to see. Uh, and we're, we're seeing that on the binding side, too. Um, you know, a lot of people for a long time were very hesitant to use tech bindings because a lot of them had did have a reputation of blowing up in in opportune times you know on the, on the in, a, in a you know seven miles out on a hut trip you know um but uh we're seeing a much better um kind of quality control coming from the companies um i think part of it is seeing some of the bigger brands start to produce some of this stuff you know like marker has really kind of stepped it up and you know the the their first foray, you know, had the infamous uh, kingpin toe blowouts, you know. Um, we haven't seen any of that really um, uh, in the last two years. Um, so we're, we are seeing just generally the gear seems to be a little bit more durable. Um, and, I mean, it would it'd be, you know, naive to say, oh, people aren't skiing it harder. <laughs> but I see I see a lot of my friends out there and they'll they'll – rip rip on some of this stuff and it, it seems to be holding up pretty well well you have set me up well for my next question we should just talk a bit more kind of about touring bindings in general i think and um what do you find aside from this thing where you're saying like it feels like just the products themselves are getting to be better in terms of some of the durability and reliability talk a bit about how you are seeing the category of AT bindings and you can take this wherever you want if you want to start on the heavier end or the lightweight end of things. Yeah, well, I, I think um, one of the interesting things that we saw um, 
you know, over the last two, three years is that, um, you know, frame bindings are officially dead. Yay. You know, it, it, it is frame bindings are dead. Long live the frame binding, mm. you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of funny because I, I joke with, you know, some college kids who come into the shop and they're like, you know, it's like, I feel like an old man. It's like back in my day when you couldn't <laughs> afford a binding, you bought a pair of Alpine trekkers and you suffered all day and it was the worst thing in the world, you know, it's like, so, um, but no, with, with the shift binding and uh, the Duke PT, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, good downhill performance um, with that ability to have a, a touring option. Um, but, you know, I would say it's it's funny. A lot of the people who who get those um, do a lot of touring on it. You know, we, we joke that, um, you know, that the shift is the most expensive Alpine binding out there, you know, and someone's going to rock around. I think I see just as many people touring in the backcountry on, on shifts and, and Dukes as I see skiing inbounds on, on Dina fit bindings, you know? So there is a, a lot of crossover going, um, both ways on those bindings. Um, one of the cool things we are seeing though, is that the companies are taking, you know, their engineering prowess and making cooler, lighter weight stuff that performs really well. Um, we've seen um, definitely an increase in in desire for low tech bindings um, with a, a a focus on performance, not so much just a focus on being lightweight. Um, you know, the simplicity is cool there. Um, bindings like the Alpinist or ATK Raider um, just ski really, really well. For how light they are, um, and I'm I'm a big fan. I've been skiing on uh, Moment has a version of the the ATK. I have that mounted up with a pair, and I, I really like the the power transfer and the heel. It, it feels great and solid in the turn. Um, the binding super easy to use, super simple. I don't even end up rotating it. I just use the lifters and just pop it in place. Um, and I've I've been really impressed with. Um, you know, both that brand ATK and, uh, you know, a couple of the other low tech bindings that I've seen out there. Let's define terms for a second. Yeah. How do you define low tech? Like what we've got this spectrum now, you know, more, more bindings in this category. And if we're trying (laughs) to help people like, okay, these guys were just talking about shifts and marker Duke PTs and ATK Voyagers and, you know, Alpin, you know, marker Alpinist. And, um, how do, or do you like have a pretty firm definition of what constitutes quote unquote low tech? You know, I, I wouldn't say we have a firm definition, um, but I would say um, the definitions do have pretty harsh dividing lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think even even further on simplicity than low tech, you, you have a race binding, yep. right? So um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with kind of like Rondine, oftentimes those bindings, um, you know, have a very, very minimal toe piece. And the heel piece is just two pins, you know, so it doesn't have any adjustable release settings. Um, we're not even talking DIN here. We're talking about just release, you know, you're either in or you're out, um, you know, so that's, that's you know, on the lowest, most minimal spectrum, um, you know, your DNA binding from DinaFit, you know, is your is your race binding, you know, they, they come in sometimes ridiculous, like 50 grams, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, how do you trust this thing even, but they work really well, <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you know, do you, for what they are. <laughs> do you guys carry race bindings? 
We we do. We okay. we have a handful of a handful of uh, uh, DNAs. I think um, I, I don't know actually now the the way inventory is mm-hmm. going this year. It's 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 flying off the shelves. But um, so that that would be the far spectrum. Um, then from there um, we have what we were talking about, low tech, which is um, kind of the next step up. You know, so a little bit beefier. Um, you know, they sometimes have. Um, I would say uh, adjustable releases. I wouldn't even say that it's DIN yeah. either. Um, you know, it, you can adjust the release tension. Oftentimes, it's just the horizontal release. Um, they a lot of times they'll uh, still rely on a U spring uh, or a U bar instead of springs. Um, so. You know, one of the things I like about this is the the simplicity. There's less, generally less to break, and because it is simple, it tends, in my experience, to have better power transfer directly to the ski than some of the more um, built out um, tech bindings. I would say the big downside mm-hmm. of low tech is. There is no forgiveness when you're on hard snow, right? So. Um, if you've ever skied in bounds on a alpine setup compared to a tech setup on a hard, icy, you know, refrozen chunder, you will notice the difference. It's like driving a BMW down a dirt road. You know, you are bouncing around. It's going to be pretty unforgiving. And a lot of times you'll find that type of performance in a low tech binding where it skis really well, but your knees are going to be beat up at the end of the day if you're just hammering on ice. Um, so I, I tend to prefer, um, I, my low tech setups are strictly backcountry um, f- for that reason. And oftentimes I'll throw them on bigger powder skis because they ski really well in that snow, um, but I don't have to rely on you know the binding eating up any of the, the variable terrain. Yep. Um, yeah, and this is something that you know we have talked a lot about over the years, and like really, I I rely heavily on the word suspension, right? Yeah, like we yeah. started talking about the suspension of a ski or the suspension of a boot or the suspension of a binding, and I I think what you're talking about here makes a lot of sense. Where you know we always say like the suspension has to come from somewhere, and yep. on on the rigid yep. setting with with a low tech binding on firm conditions your knees are the thing that kind of (laughs) ends up right absorbing the impact exactly but what you're talking about is putting when you're talking about putting low-tech bindings on wider powder skis the snow can provide the suspension but something's got to absorb the impact and so in if you're powder touring it can make some sense right the snow is going to absorb well there's just going to be fewer impacts right yeah um and so i really invite people to i still invite people to think about that factor of suspension and if you you know that's can be one of the advantages of touring in a heavier boot the boot can provide some of that suspension or so can a heavier binding or only ski delightful pow, right? That can help you out too. (laughs) But it's like, I think that's a really good and helpful way for people to still think about like, how does this all work as a system? If you care about Mm -hmm. things kind of quote unquote feeling good, right? And it might be the case on certain objectives. You don't care about that. It's like, we just need to get to the top (laughs) on the lightest stuff we possibly can. And we'll, you know, we will accept the downhill, right? On some pretty rigid, harsh feeling gear. I think it probably, it's a drum that maybe we don't need to be done beating just yet. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know, um, and continuing, you know, on the spectrum, once you get out of low tech into tech bindings, um, there's actually a lot of tech bindings that provide a good amount of suspension. Um, it's funny, the, um, the DinaFit rotation is another binding that I, I like a lot. Um, and I've, I've found that, uh, you know, the, this, I can ski that in balance on hard pack because of the elastic travel in the heel, um, the mimicking elastic travel in the toe. Um, you know, the, the other thing too, is when you get to that, you have multiple adjustable release settings. Um, you have a binding that's now testing out in your TUV standard, which is, you know, your, your DIN release standard. So it, it, it is guaranteed to release the same way that your Alpine binding does in a crash situation. So you're, you're increasing your safety factor there. Um, and so, uh, you know, a lot of people who are newer to the sport, I typically push them in that realm um, because they're, they're, it's going to feel more familiar to a alpine binding. Um, and then, you know, you're also having that increased safety factor where, you know, when I step into my low tech on the top of a line, you know, it's like I know that like, I, I don't want this binding to come off, <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's cranked on there pretty high and, you know, for better or for worse, um, you know, that's the confidence that I have as a skier where I rather have this ski stick on, on my foot. If I'm skiing in bounds and, and have a lot of people and a lot of unknowns and, and that sort of stuff, I'll, um, you know, definitely take safer precautions and typically anymore I, I ski only imbalance on an alpine unless I'm like really doing side country and, and need that but you know it's I, I've had multiple friends who've had issues with um, you know crashes and and uh, you know just gear that probably wasn't built for yep. doing what they were doing and uh, yeah so it's and as we all get older and still want to ski as fast as we do, um, I am, I'm a big advocate, especially if you're going to be in, in bounds, stay off your tech gear, just get, get an Alpine set up. Like a lot of the touring boots now will even work with Alpine bindings. It's a lot cheaper. Um, you have safer releases and you know, it's, these, these slopes are crowded, man. We, um, just the other day I heard a terrible story of, um, a, a legend Ron LeMasters, uh, was actually killed up at Eldora. Um, and, um, in a, in a, a very unfortunate um, collision, he's a pretty much wrote the book on on ski instruction. Just absolute legend, and you know it's just it's it's dangerous out there. So take take the precautions you can. Wear your helmet, and maybe not rip around high GS turns on your tech gear. Yeah, yeah, and well, yes. I mean, I, I just still feel super strongly about that one, and yeah, I mean, I. I know people have different opinions on this and come down in different, you know, different parts, but I just personally, I don't want to be in a tech toe. If I'm skiing in bounds and I know that, that you know, the Fritchy Tecton, right? That gets to mm -hmm. be one of the bindings where it's like, well, but there's still some elasticity yep. in the toe piece. And I'm like, okay, you know, but frankly, I just am still on the side of, and I don't... People can disagree with me. They don't have to follow this same practice. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't want to be in a tech toe if I'm skiing mm -hmm. inbounds. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, dude, that was a kind of fun overview of some of these different categories. And uh, I always enjoy kind of getting your take on some of this stuff. A couple of other things I wanted to ask you about. You guys just did again, right? Your fundraiser with the CAIC, the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. Yeah, yeah. So for um, about 10 years now, we we run a community event in the fall. It's uh, one of our favorite things to do in the shop. And it was really cool again this year to kind of bring the community back together, see a lot of familiar customers and faces. Uh, we call it our ski season kickoff party. Um, and if, you, if you've never gone, definitely go next year. It is a blast. Um, it's uh, kind of an old old county fair vibe, except for backcountry skiers, you know. So we have carnival games like uh, blindfold shovel, shovel assembly and, and beacon searches and fastest skin transitions to win a free beer and, and that sort of stuff. And so it's just a blast. We have um, music and, and uh, food and, and all sorts of great stuff. Um, a lot of uh, local breweries end up donating beer for us. Big shout out to, uh, to those guys. Um, and the whole purpose for the event um, is to raise money for two really awesome avalanche education uh, nonprofits here in the state of Colorado. Uh, the first being, as you mentioned, Friends of CIAC, who do just such a phenomenal job um, in terms of educating and, and um, you know, getting awareness out there. Um, and then our good friends at Friends of Birth and Pass, um, who also um, run a whole series of avalanche information um, 101s, getting people kind of open and talking about it in a in a very um, very good way, you know, non um, very basic way um, and very welcoming um, to get new people into the sport. Um, so both those organizations do a great job at them at that. If uh, if you haven't worked with or, or checked out either of those guys, check them out. They run events all season long, um, everything from you know novice, you know, hour long one on one events to uh, you know giant conferences with snow scientists from all over the world um, and some of the best professionals talking in detail about you know how how do we manage this growing sport that people love and and do it safely and especially after you know the the season we had last year you know I think it's a huge thing to kind of continue to harp on is you know making those good choices and as we see a very slow start to the season I I just know that first big storm cycle that comes through people are just going to be chomping at the bit and it's it's just same thing every year you know Colorado you can guarantee you're going to have that that deep persistent slab just lurking down there all season so but yeah we we really enjoyed bringing the whole community together um we're going to do it again next year and and the next year and the next year and um it's just a great event so um you know keep your eyes out um and uh come come on down next year and maybe one last thing we should say it's become a kind of um recurring topic now on gear 30 supply chain issues turns out <laughs> that's kind of a global problem you know it sounds like we you and i were talking we we're seeing inventory uh well scarcity we were really seeing that in the bike world but that's creeping into the ski side of things too right yeah you know we're we're, we're hearing it from uh, you know, our big brands that we work with, we're hearing it from our small, you know, boutique brands, everything from getting, uh, you know, raw materials to hiring enough workers to build things to 
getting it shipped out to us. Um, you know, it's all sorts of um, issues along the whole supply chain. Um, and, you know, these, these guys are do, doing the best they can. You know, we're, we, all the, all the groups we work with um, really have done a great job with trying to allocate stuff for us and, and getting, you know, the stuff that they can get, but it's, it's just difficult in this time and age. And um, so, yeah, if there's gear out there that you want, like, Decide what you want, go find it, and get it. Because, you know, this year it's not going to stick around till February. Um, unless it doesn't show up till unless February. Unless it doesn't so. show up till February. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's helpful just to make sure people know kind of what the current state of the union is on some of that. And it's maybe not the time to, you know, hold out and hold out. And maybe I'm going to go this way and I'm going to sleep on it four more nights. It's like... Yeah, it just is a global reality right now. Yeah, um, yep. I just had one of my good friends uh, text me today. She's like, I finally sold my skis. I'm going to come into the shop and pick those up. And I, I text her back. I was like, those sold two days ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're, we are out of the model for huh. the season. She's like, oh, now I have to go to REI. It's like, <laughs> it's like, well, if they have it, buy it. Like, I don't care. Like, you're not hurting my feelings. Like, I hope REI has it because usually we get people coming from REI saying, uh-huh. uh, you know, like they don't have it. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if you, if you find it, grab it. Hmm. If you find it, grab it. Well, Hey man, it's always fun to catch up and get your take on things. And so once again, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was good, good, good chatting. Yeah. And hopefully I know last year we were talking about connecting and then yeah, COVID did a number on us, but, uh, well, one, I need to come up and see the renovated shop and then two, Maybe we get you down to CB this year at some point. Yeah. So we have some we have some off air discussing to do on these fronts, but it'd be fun to make that happen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome, man. Yeah, that's great. Good catching up with you, man. Yeah, likewise. Uh, you take care. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Okay, it is time now for our weekly what we're celebrating segment. It is now Thursday, December 9th at nine oh three p.m. And I have here in my hand a little glass of Whistlepig 12-year-old rye. I actually just did a pretty brief, but I hope helpful, write-up about the different Whistlepig offerings. Their piggyback, that's their 6-year-old rye, and their 10-year-old rye, and their 12-year-old rye, and their 15-year-old rye, just to help maybe direct you to the, uh, to the Whistlepig expression as folks might like to say, that might suit you best. So check that out. That was in our holiday gift guide. I believe it was in our uh, under the tree section of our holiday gift guide and see what you think. Anyway, tonight I'm going with smooth and that means they're 12 year old rye. And I've got three things I want to celebrate. First, as I mentioned in our intro, it freaking snowed last night and all day today, and this place is transformed. Perfect timing for some snow. So um, we are super psyched. Things are going to be filling in nicely, and it's not done. We're supposed to be picking up more snow tonight and tomorrow, so this is all fantastic. Second, and this is big, we are officially starting shooting on our Blister Crash Course Telemark video This is actually happening now. You all have been incredibly patient. And so we're going to, you know, 
play the weather windows a little bit, but the intention is that we're going to shoot our first session where a bunch of us step into Telemark gear for the first time ever. That's going down a week from, well, Friday, a week from today when you're hearing this. So we're excited. And again, folks, keep in mind that the idea here is that it's going to be me and Luke Kappa and, and, you know, one or two of our other folks here at Blister, and none of us have ever tellied before. Well, except for Kristen Sinnott, and she's also going to be here, and she's probably going to be the best one of us by far. So she has tellied. But this is basically going to be a video of, like, you're going to be watching four or five baby deer attempting to walk for the first time. I just want to kind of set some expectations. This is probably not going to be the like purest expression or the platonic ideal of perfect telemark turns. I'm saying this because we keep having a few tele people write in who seem to be kind of confused about what's happening here. So apologies in advance to like the four or five tele people who, I don't know, maybe kind of seem to hate fun a little bit. I don't know, but you all seem real serious and worried that we might not capture the absolute essence and soul of telemarking. But, you know, for the other 99.9% of you, I don't know, just be prepared to laugh or groan. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to this. I am slightly scared, but I am truly excited to free my heel and hopefully my mind too. So anyway, stay tuned. Shooting is going down next week. Final thing, and this will be fun. Our Blister crew is meeting up tomorrow in Blister HQ to have a waxing and tuning clinic with Peter Arlene of Mountain Flow Echo Wax. So it's going to be fun having Peter back in Crested Butte, and it's going to be fun to get the gang together and learn a bit more about mountain flow products and talk to peter about how we've been using them and we'll probably have an adult beverage or two while we do all of that so anyway i'm looking forward to all of that and seeing peter again and the crew and telemarking and probably killing myself anyway here's to all of that and with that that is going to bring us to a close of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to John for the conversation. If you happen to be near Golden, Colorado, absolutely stop in Bentgate and say hi. And then I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everyone else. And we will talk to you again on Monday over on our Blister podcast, where you are going to get to hear a conversation that I recorded with Lou Dawson. Blister meets wild snow. What do you know? That's a good conversation. I think you all are going to enjoy it. So yeah, Lou Dawson this Monday on the Blister podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hope you get out on the mountain, make some turns with some friends, and we will talk to you later.